Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to New York. This is is the Devil's Devil's State of Mind Mind Podcast, Podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Hockey Podcast Podcast Network. Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! What is going on, Devils fans? It is, once again, your host, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get everything you need to know about your new Jersey Devils. I hope you guys, as always, are having a fantastic day wherever you are listening to these podcast episodes. Thank you guys, as always, for taking time out of your day to check these episodes out. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. This episode and everything we do here at the Hockey Podcast Network are sponsored by the awesome people over at DraftKings Sportsbook. With the NBA playoffs now into the conference finals and the Stanley Cup playoffs, which interestingly enough we're going to talk about a little bit today, is now into round two. DraftKings has unbelievable opportunities to get huge cash prizes. So if you want to get in on the action, here's what you do. Go to DraftKings, sign up, use our promo code THPN, and tell them Neil Villa Piano sent you. Folks, we have a bunch to get to today, as we always do here on the Devil's State of Mind podcast. First thing we're going to talk about is the Devils actually made um, another signing with one of their uh, draft picks from 2021. Also, we're going to give a quick look at the World Championships updates and see how the, t- the Devils players are doing. So that's going to be very interesting to talk about. We're also going to be giving, well, I'm going to be giving you quickly my predictions for round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we're also going to be actually answering some questions from people like yourself. So I haven't done this in a while, so I'm actually really excited to uh, to do this and see what you guys have in store for me. So, as always, we have a bunch to get to here on the Devil's State of Mind podcast, so let's not waste any more time and get rolling. 
So the first thing we'll dis- we'll discuss really quickly is the Devils uh, decided to sign another one of their prospects slash draft picks from just last year. Last Thursday, the Devils announced the signing of their 2021 fifth round draft pick, defenseman Tobias. Beelan to a three-year entry level contract. This contract will start uh, at the uh, at the beginning of the 2022-23 season. Uh, the Devils also said that he will attend the Devils development camp this summer. So for the first time since I believe 2019, the Devils and uh, probably a lot of other teams in the NHL will be hosting a development camp. So that's really good. So now a lot of us will get a chance to see the young prospects that we have in our system. To give you guys a little bit of background on Velen, he was drafted in the fifth round of the 2021 NHL draft by the Devils, 129th overall. He is currently 19 years of age, and he played in 50 games this past season for Laden, which is in Liga in the Finland's top professional ice hockey league, and he tallied six assists. He is six foot one, 195 pounds as a defenseman. He also skated in 35 regular season games with the Pelicans at the Liga level in 2020-21 and earned eight points, three goals, five assists overall. Prior to his Liga experience, Velen was a member of the Pelicans organization for the under 20, under 18, and under 17 levels, dating back to 17. 18. He is a native of Lati, Finland. The left-handed shot represented his home country in the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge back in 2020 and the International Ice Hockey Federation's Under-18 World Junior Championships in 2021. Also in the 2021 World Junior Championships, Vilan served as an assistant captain collected four assists and was teammates with fellow Devils uh, prospect from that same 2021 NHL draft, Samu Salmanen, who was drafted back in the third round, 68th overall. So I think what's really awesome just in general about the Devils can, you know, constantly signing these draft picks is that Tom Fitzgerald is doing a really good job of convincing these players to feel proud about being selected by the devils, giving them a pretty good idea as to where they fit in the grand scheme of things and giving them the opportunity to come and compete. That's one of the things that Tom Fitzgerald has talked about so much since he took over um, as the devil's general manager. He's constantly talked about not just with the team we have now, but just in the entire organization compete, compete, compete. And that's why he keeps giving these other young players that we draft the opportunity to sign these entry-level contracts and go from there. And signing ELCs is always kind of a tricky thing because, number one, sometimes you're not sure if the player is going to be able to come over to the United States and play. Not, I wouldn't say professional hockey because there's a lot of professional hockey leagues over in Europe as well, but come over and play in North America you don't know when they'll get the opportunity to do that. Um, you also have to look at just the, the financials of everything to make sure it works out. And also you have to wonder to yourself if you feel confident that this player that you are looking to sign to an ELC is a guy that can definitely be part of this organization long term. And I think, and this goes basically with any with any team, that if you sign somebody to an ELC, that shows the level of confidence you have. And again, 
you look at you look at this kid. You look at Velan. He's 18 years of age. He's not expected to come in and light the world on fire. And Fitzgerald, like he's done with so many other prospects in, in this organization, he wants to take their he wants them to take their time, develop naturally, develop uh, you know, in the way that by the time they get to North America and they get to play in the AHL or even get a, a stint in the National Hockey League, they can kind of fit into it a little bit more. Look at the way that the Devils have handled Alexander Holt since they drafted him back in 2020. They they decided to keep him over in um, in Sweden playing with Jurgarden. Then he came over at the end of the season to play a couple games with uh, the Binghamton Devils. And then this year, he has spent the majority of the time developing and playing down with the Utica Comets. And you can see from what he's done in his first full year of professional um, Ameri- you know, North American hockey, he has done very, very well. It hasn't shown up as much in the NHL, but still, it's going to take some time. But you can see what he's been able to do in um, in Utica, and you can tell that he is developing very, very well. Same thing with uh, a guy like Shakir uh, Mukhamadoulin. You look at Shakir, he was playing in the KHL. He was honestly doing pretty darn well. He comes over here to the United States and now has a chance to play some North American hockey with the Utica Comets while they're in the playoffs. So it's things like that. Dawson Mercer... Dawson Mercer, you could say, was somewhat of a, you know, a different example because he came in, he had signed his entry-level deal the year before, he comes in maybe not expecting to make the team out of camp, he really, really plays well, makes the team, plays the entire season, doesn't miss a single game, and has what I honestly think was a tremendous rookie year by his standards, so... You could see from a development standpoint, the Devils have done a lot better of a job with these guys than the previous regime did before Fitzgerald took over. So I think that that's something to keep in mind. And that's what the Devils, I think, are going to do with Tobias moving forward. He's going to stay overseas. He is going to come here to do the development camp, which is good because then it allows a lot of these kids from overseas to come and experience what it's like to play on North American ice and also what it's like to be around the Devils organization and kind of go from there. So the Devils making another signing, getting another young prospect to sign his entry-level deal. Tobias Velen, a defenseman who was drafted in the fifth round of the 2021 NHL entry draft. And again, his ELC will begin at the start of next season, 2022-23. So we will keep an eye on Tobias Velen moving forward. So the next thing that I wanted to discuss with you guys is to give you guys a world championships updates because the Devils have a boatload of different players slash prospects that are actually in the world championships representing several different countries. So the Devils are very well represented over in Finland, over in Helsinki, I believe, uh, for this year's world championships. Uh, A couple of the big news things, which I think are very important, was number one, Nico Heischer, the captain of the New Jersey Devils, is also the captain of Team Switzerland, which I think is a big honor for him. And I know people will say, well, it's because Roman Yossi uh, was still in the playoffs when the World Championships camp for Switzerland began. I get all that, but also you look at it and Nico Heischer is already a captain in the NHL. So there's nothing saying he can't be a captain for uh, Switzerland. So that is a major honor for him in his international hockey career. Tomas Tatar was named the captain of Team Slovakia. So that's a big honor for him. So the Devils have two different players from their team that are captains of their country in this world championships. 
Damon Severson was named an alternate captain for Team Canada, which again also isn't much of a surprise because Severson's an alternate captain here. He's one of the more veteran players on that Canadian team, and I think that they, uh, the Canadian national team likes his uh, leadership. Um, and then also the World Championships began last Friday. So we're still only a couple of days into it. Uh, most of the teams have played three, almost now four games in the preliminary round. I think there's four or five games uh, for each team in the preliminary round. And uh, then they'll go to uh, the elimination rounds. So let's go over and let's take a look at what the Devils players have done so far in the World Championships. Now, by the time you guys are listening to this episode, some things might have changed, but this is just the most latest up to the date I can give you guys. We'll start with Canada because the Devils have three different players playing for Team Canada. Damon Steverson, like we just mentioned, Ryan Graves, who was actually a late addition to the team, and Dawson Mercer, who basically jumped at the opportunity the second he was offered it. For Damon Severson, he's played in all three games for Canada. No goals, two assists, and two points. Ryan Graves, exact same stat line as Severson. Three games, no goals, two assists, two points. And then Dawson Mercer has played in all three games as well. No goals, three assists for three points. So obviously, none of those guys have been able to find the back of the net yet but they've certainly been able to contribute to Canada having a fantastic preliminary round as they have gone 3-0-0 so far and their next game will be this Thursday versus Kazakhstan which I think is really interesting that Kazakhstan is developing more and more into a very very talented um country for hockey I know that they struggle to compete sometimes against the big powerhouse countries that are being represented here but I think it's interesting to see a team like Kazakhstan or Great Britain or Italy places that you wouldn't expect hockey to be that big to still be able to develop some amount of talent that I think will keep your eyes glued to the television so I think that that's something that's very very cool but that is what the Devils players have done so far for Team Canada. Now we'll shift over to the United States. Devils have two players representing the Devils for the United States. John Gillies, which uh, I know obviously everybody's had a laugh with the fact that he's there. But John Gillies has not played in any of the three games so far for the United States. Um, I don't know if he'll get an opportunity to play at all, but I guess we'll see. So there really isn't a stat line for Gillies. Luke Hughes, who probably is the biggest guy that we're all focusing on because, again, he's playing for the United States. He had a tremendous freshman season at the University of Michigan, and we obviously are wondering when he's going to get the opportunity to come to New Jersey. And I will just say this right away before we continue, that I think the, the smartest thing to do, and uh, I know um, a former guest of the Devil's State of Mind podcast, who also covers the Devils for NHL.com, Mike Morial, he made this point as well, which I think was very accurate. I think the Devil's best decision should be to allow Luke Hughes to go back to Michigan, play again. He's going to be in a much larger role than he did as a freshman and go try to win a national championship, maybe even try to go win the Hobie Baker award. And then when the season's over, come to the devils and go from there. Like Kale McCarr did when he was at, um, was he at Denver? Yeah, he was at Denver. And then he came to, um, he came to the Colorado Avalanche. So I think that that's, I think that's the best way to the the best opportunity. I fully expect Luke Hughes to probably be at the Devils uh, development camp when it gets underway later on this off season. So uh, I, I will, the Devils will definitely get a chance to see him in person 
very, very soon. But talking about what Luke Hughes has done so far in the preliminary rounds of the World Championships, he has done really, really well. Three games, a goal, an assist, two points. And that goal he scored was a breakaway game-winning goal in overtime in the United States win over Austria. So he got a breakaway. It was a clean breakaway as well. He goes top shelf. It was a beautiful goal by Luke Hughes. Great celebration as well. And uh, really, really uh, looking very much like he belongs and looking very comfortable. Um, the United States lost to Finland. Um, in their most recent game, four to one, but actually Luke Hughes was named player of the games. That was kind of a, that was kind of interesting that um, he was named that, but that's a pretty good accolade. So a pretty good uh, last couple of games for Luke Hughes and, uh, you know, you know, playing for the United States. United States right now is 2-1-0 and in the preliminary rounds. Their next game is also Thursday. They'll be taking on Great Britain. So now we'll shift over to Switzerland, another country that uh, has a lot of Devils fans, especially over the last couple of years. And you look at Switzerland, pretty good. They've done as well as they probably could think. Nico Kiescher, two goal, uh, two games, one goal, one assist, two points. Jonas Siegenthaler, two games, no goals, but he has three assists for three points. So both Nico and Siegenthaler have done very, very well as two main catalysts for this Switzerland team. Switzerland so far is 2-0-0 in the preliminary round. Their next game is against Kazakhstan. So there you go. And that game is on Tuesday. So by the time you guys listen to this episode, their game will either be over or underway or in the middle of it, whatever the case may be. So Switzerland will be looking to go to 3-0-0 if they can get themselves a win against Kazakhstan. But one of the things that I have noticed from what I've been able to see from the way Nico Kiescher has played, every time he plays with Timo Meyer, who's one of the top players for the San Jose Sharks, a beautiful scoring right winger who had a career year this year in San Jose. Both of them seem to have just tremendous chemistry together. They seem to know where each other is and can really, really do a good job of setting each other up to put the puck in the back of the net. Now, I'm not trying to spread any rumors or anything, but if you remember a year ago when we got to the NHL draft, there were rumors and speculation that the Sharks were moving Timo Meyer, and then there was, you know, reports. I remember Kevin Weeks even tweeted out that it sounded like the Devils and Timo Meyer was actually going to happen. And then as we found out, nothing uh, materialized, and that was the end of that. I'm not saying that things are going to be different this year, but the Devils do have a tremendous amount of cap space. They do have a lot of assets that they certainly can move. And Timo Meyer is a guy that the Sharks could potentially decide to move if they want to start getting pieces for a rebuild. I don't know exactly where the Sharks are when it comes to their decision-making uh, long-term and what they want to do. But if they're already talking, having preliminary talks about maybe moving guys like uh, Brent Birds and Eric Carlson, I wouldn't necessarily uh, uh, be against, or I wouldn't necessarily, um, I guess I would say, I don't think it's very far-fetched to wonder if the Sharks are also considering moving somebody like that, because I think Timo Mark could get you a lot more in a trade than maybe Brent Birds and Eric Carlson right now. Um, I doubt the Sharks would end up moving him anyway, but 
I think if Timo Meyer could come to New Jersey as the impact scoring winger, especially for Nico Heischer with the chemistry they already have, I think it's just going to make that offense that we have much, you know, even better than what it is right now. So just something to have in your mind and just something to keep in mind when you look at the way those two team, the way those two guys have played. Now, finally, let's, let's look over at Slovakia and Tomas Tatar, the only devil's representative right now, obviously, because uh, uh, Slavkovsky is playing for, um, for team Slovakia. And I'll just say this right now. Slavkovsky is absolutely phenomenal. Six foot four, over 200 pounds, probably going to end up going second overall to us. I just think that that's it. And again, we'll talk in greater detail as the summer goes along with regards to the NHL draft, what I think the devils uh, could do and things like that. So don't, so, so don't worry. Don't worry. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it more. Um, but Slavkovsky still is my number one when it comes to who the, I think the Devils should take at number two. He is all over the ice. The broadcasters can't stop talking about him because he's constantly in the middle of everything. This is a guy that maybe he may not come to the NHL right away, but I think over time is going to be somebody that could be that that dangerous for us offensively. Like I think he really, really fills a need that we that we don't have right now when it comes to scoring on the wing. So he's been fun to watch. As far as Tomas Tatar is concerned, he's had a pretty decent uh, three games so far for Slovakia. He has a goal. He's played in all three games. Uh, he's got a goal, no assist, but he does have a point. Slovakia struggling a little bit, 1-2-0 so far in the preliminary rounds. Their next game will be on Wednesday against Nico Hischer, Jonas Siegenthaler, and Team Switzerland. So that should be a fun game. So Switzerland's next two games are against Kazakhstan on Tuesday and then Wednesday against Slovakia. So they'll have, uh, they'll have their hands full. But that is the latest update from the Devils players and maybe future players um, that are representing their countries over in the World Championships in Finland. And later on this week, we'll get to the preliminary rounds and we'll see what Devils players will be playing in the uh, elimination rounds. And we'll see how many Devils players, if any, will get the chance to potentially win some medals um, when this World Championships is over. Hockey fans, the pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what win or lose looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs with DraftKings same game parlays you can do just that create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win how many goals will be scored and more it's your shot at an even bigger payout DraftKings is safe secure and reliable best of all you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN to bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets. No matter what, that's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now, the second to last thing I wanted to quickly uh discuss with you guys is my Stanley Cup playoffs round two predictions. We are now officially into the second round. 
That was one of the best first rounds in the Stanley Cup playoffs I have seen in a long time. So much drama, a lot of blowouts early on. But as you saw, as these uh, games progressed, other than Colorado versus Nashville, the scoring started to drop. You started to get a lot closer games, intense, overtime. We had back-to-back overtime game sevens on Sunday. Rangers going on and uh, coming back from down three games to one to win game seven in overtime at home. You had the Calgary Flames who were absolutely, you know, beaten so many times by Jake Ottinger, the goaltender for Dallas, which, by the way, Jake Ottinger was one of the big stars of the first round. It's unfortunate that the stars did not advance, but for him to have 60 plus saves in game seven, to even just keep the stars in it, to even get to uh, overtime of game seven was phenomenal, but Johnny Goudreau, maybe a future New Jersey devil, the, the Jersey, um, native, he scored the game winner in overtime of game seven to send the flames to round number two. And obviously once again, Toronto Maple Leafs had multiple chances to knock off the defend the two time defending Stanley cup champion, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, and finally get to the second round for the first time in almost two decades, but lost game six in overtime and then lost game seven uh, in a very close two to one game in Toronto. Um, and I will say that this isn't, this is definitely a little bit different than last year, considering the circumstances, but as Sheldon Keefe and everyone else on the Toronto Maple Leafs mentioned, it still hurts the same because once again, the Leafs are out in the first round. I have absolutely no idea what the Leafs need to do at this point. I've run out of ideas. Um, And all we could do is just wait and see. I don't think major changes are coming in Toronto, but maybe they are. Who knows? And I think, especially when you look at the Devils, you look at what we need, you look at what maybe Toronto might move in the offseason if they do want to make change. I think it's something to keep in mind. And uh, we'll see if there's more concrete to any of this uh, as the offseason progresses. But anyway, let's get to the second round prediction, shall we? So we'll start with the Battle of Florida. It's a rematch from last year's first round. We have the Tampa Bay Lightning against the Florida Panthers. Now, the Florida Panthers, number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They were able to vanquish the Washington Capitals in six games. And, you know, really, it you look at that Panthers team, and to be quite honest with you, you look at games four and five, we definitely could have said they're going to lose these games and they're going to get knocked out. There were times where we really thought that the Panthers were really going to choke and blow it and get knocked out in the first round by Washington, but they were able to come back in those games, regroup, and eventually win win that series and move on to round number two. And they get the matchup that I think they honestly wanted. Uh, they get the chance to not only get revenge from losing in the first round last year to the to this team, but to be the ones to knock off the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. And you look at the Panthers. You look at what they have now. You look at the fact they added guys like Claude Giroux. They still have Hubert They still have Barkov. You know, Sergei Bobrovsky, while at times this looks shaky, he certainly looks better than what he did last year. And he's had a really, really good bounce-back year. And I think all together with this, with this group of players that – Florida has, they played really, really sound hockey. And I think that's something to really give them a lot of credit for. And then you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. What else is there to say? Again, the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, 
down three games to two against Toronto, win game six in overtime, win game seven in Toronto in that hostile uh, arena, and are able to move on to the second round again. And now when you look at that Tampa team, despite the fact that they had to go seven, despite the fact that Braden Point could be out long-term because of the injury he sustained in game seven, this is still an incredibly dangerous Tampa Bay Lightning team. I look at it and I say to myself, if the Lightning get past the Panthers in, round, in this second round and get to the conference finals, they're going to the cup final again. I mean, we are on the verge of potentially seeing uh, an even bigger modern-day dynasty than what we saw with Chicago. I mean, with Chicago, they won in 2010, 2013, and 2015. But you're looking at a Lightning team that is looking to try to win three cups in a row. We have not seen that since the Oilers in the 80s. And, and I was wondering to myself, especially in the salary cap era, would we ever see this again? And we thought maybe we saw it with Pittsburgh back in 16-17, but couldn't get it done the next year. And now you look at Tampa. Does Tampa, does Tampa give you the same vibe 100% that they did the last two years? No, and I think the main difference is the fact that they lost that entire third line of Yanni Gord, Barkley Goodrow, and obviously former devil Blake Coleman. But you look at the pieces that they've had. Nick Paul, who they got from Ottawa, scored both goals in game seven to win that, to win that game single-handedly. And you look at Brandon Hagel. Hagel's actually fit in pretty well. I'm still skeptical about the amount of assets the Lightning had to give up to get Brandon Hagel. But if they go on to win another cup this year, it was all worth it in the end, right? And obviously, they still have that main core. Nikita Kucherov, Victor Hedman, Steven Stamkos, uh, Andre Pilat, guys like that. Uh, Patrick Maroon, Alex Kalorn. Guy, you know, these guys who have been there, done that. Andre Vasilevsky in net, who continues to be phenomenal after losing a game. It just, it's, it's crazy. Like, the second he loses the game, you know that most likely the Lightning are going to win the next game because of the experience and the record that Vasilevsky has when it comes to uh, how he does after a loss. Um, so I look at this series. This is going to be phenomenal. This is going to be as exciting, if not more exciting, than what we saw between Tampa and Toronto in, in, in round number one. And for me, because, again, it all, it all goes back to until someone proves me differently, I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Lightning to win this series in seven. I think they'll have to go the distance again. In my opinion, Florida is much better than what they were last year. And I think that they're going to really, really test this uh, Lightning team, and they want revenge. And there's nothing saying that they can't do it. I wouldn't even be surprised if the Panthers knocked off Tampa. I wouldn't. But for me, until proven otherwise – you, you're looking at the two-time defending champs who have been through it all, have been embarrassed, have been beaten up in playoff series before, and then have gone on to win back-to-back -back Stanley Cups. And they haven't shown any signs, to me at least, that they, they're going to slow down. So give me the Tampa Lightning to win that series in seven games. Now we go over to the other Eastern Conference uh, uh, second-round matchup. We got another Metropolitan Division uh, rivalry. We got the Carolina Hurricanes against the New York Rangers, a rematch from the 2020 play-in round um, in which the Rangers lost in, what was it, four or three? I think they got swept. I don't even remember. If 2020 feels like five years ago to me at this point, but it was only like two years ago. 
But I look at this and I say, look at the Carolina Hurricanes. They struggled on the road. Yes. But when they were at home, as we saw in that entire series against Boston, they were unbeatable. They had all the momentum. That crowd in, in Raleigh is phenomenal. The Kaniacs are something else, man. They're not the bunch of jerks anymore. They're just a very respected fan base and a very respected team led by one of the best coaches in the NHL, Rob Brindamore, a guy who very well should be up for coach of the year again. I mean, it's phenomenal what he's done with this Carolina Hurricanes team. And even the pieces that they had, I think when you look at it, they had a completely different goaltending tandem last year. Now look at this year. Look at the situation that they've been in. Freddie Anderson, once again, dealing with injuries. We don't know what his status is. Antti Ranta, who the Devils, in my opinion, should have definitely tried to pursue a little bit more last offseason, but didn't, has been really strong in net. And they even have that Russian goaltender who, he's a rookie, all right? So let's give him a break. But has been, he's been decent in the games that he's played. Um, but this is a very deep and very scary Carolina Hurricanes team that has championship aspirations, that th this team believes that they can go all the way and win the cup. And then they're taking on the New York Rangers, who just went through one of the most dramatic seven-game series in the first round I've seen in a long time. And the Rangers, this team, reminds me a lot of the 2014 team. Look at what happened to the Rangers in 2014. They were in a playoff series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. What happened? They went down three games to one. Everybody, including myself, thought they're dead in the water. Shesterkin looked like Shitsterkin in games three and four against Pittsburgh. He looked like he was so phased by what was going on with that crowd in Pittsburgh chanting his name that he was just giving up soft goal after soft goal. And it just looked like at that moment that it was a Rangers team that doesn't have a lot of playoff experience and is being taught a lesson by this veteran Pittsburgh Penguin team led by Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Gensel, all these guys. But they were also being beaten by Louis Domingue. And I knew at some point that Louis Domingue was going to start struggling. And what really, in my opinion, changed the series completely was the injury to Sidney Crosby in game five when he got hit by Jacob Trubo. And it wasn't a it wasn't a dirty hit. As a matter of fact, when I saw the hit, it didn't look as bad as I as they described it as later on. But he dealt with a concussion, didn't play in the rest of game five, didn't play in game six either. Rangers win those next two games. You go to game seven in the garden with everything on the line. Crosby's back in the lineup. Ricard Raquel, who had not played since game one, was in the lineup. And they're ready to go. And also Tristan Jari, who had been out since April 14th, was in net. And I'll say this. The Penguins, in many ways, should have won that game. There was controversy with the goal that Jake Gensel scored where he knocked the puck out of, out of the air, although his stick to me was above the bar, the saying, but it was, you know, it was a back and forth game. Mika Zibanejad, who has freaking, what, seven points in the last two games of that series in game six and seven, really, really stepped up and forced overtime. And you go to overtime and not even five minutes in, Rangers get a power play, moving the puck well, and the bread man who gets his signature moment and shows why he was paid $11 million per year with the New York Rangers, scores the GWG in overtime to send the Rangers to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. For the And once again, coming back from down three games to one against the Penguins to move on. 
And my biggest question for Pittsburgh is that, was that the last time we're going to see that core of Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, and Latang all together? Um, Malkin's a free agent. I have no idea what he plans on doing long-term. I guess we can only wait and see, but there are some questions in, uh, in Pittsburgh and uh, there might be a changing of the guard. We'll see. But the New York Rangers uh, coming into the second round with a wave of momentum, a wave of emotion, so many different things. And I look at this series and I say, it really can be a coin flip. And as much as I want to go with Carolina because of what they did in, you know, in the regular season and even what they did, at, what they've done at home, I actually have the New York Rangers winning in seven. Um, and it's mainly because of this. Every single time in the playoffs, there's the one team that maybe you didn't think or didn't expect to make a run that ends up making that run. And to me, I think it's the Rangers this year. I think that they're going to ride that momentum, ride that juju into round number two. I think they're going to end up stealing a game in Carolina. It might end up being game seven, which would be very, it would be a very uh, classic way to win a series that once again, the Rangers are going to have to uh, win a game seven this time on the road, not something that they haven't been able to do before in their history, but this is going to be just like the Pittsburgh Rangers series, a drag out dog it out series. There's going to be pushing and shoving. These teams don't like each other. They've been playing so much in the regular season. There is dislike. There is genuine dislike. And I think that it's going to have to go the distance, but given the New York Rangers and much as that hurts being a devil's fan, giving the New York Rangers to win that series in seven. Now you shift over to the Western Conference. Avs versus Blues. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not surprised that the Avs swept the Predators. The Predators of all the teams in the playoffs definitely looked like the team that had no business being in it. Especially when after they lost UC Saros, you knew that the Predators were done. And the, and the Although we had some dramatics with Ingram, that rookie goaltender, uh, making some big-time saves, the Avs were just a machine. I mean, they just went through the first round like it was nothing, to be quite honest with you. And then you have the St. Louis Blues, who upset uh, a favorite, a dark horse, to get out of the Western Conference and go to the Cup Final, and that was the Minnesota Wild. And you won not one, but two games in Minnesota, which was very impressive. And the biggest difference was that Billy Huso struggled early on in the series. They go back to Jordan Bennington, who had won them a cup not too long ago, and he looked like the Jordan Bennington of old. He finally was able to shake off the last couple of years of really struggling in the playoffs to looking much better. And that may change what the Blues want to do long-term in net. It may very well change their decision. I don't think it will, but I think that there's still a possibility. I think it's a very good possibility, especially if the Blues continue this impressive run. But for me, although I would love this series to go seven, I just think the abs are just going to find a way to get some things going. Their offense is going to continue to fly. And I'm going to go with the abs to win at six. I just think that they're an absolute wagon right now. Their offense is clicking. Their goaltending, even when Darcy Kemper was out, uh, Francois was still being strong in net. So they are built right now to get through it. Again, the Avs' biggest problem, they have struggled to get out of the second round. So a lot of Avs fans are going to be wondering, is this team for real? Let's see where they are now as they get into the second round. Let's see. I personally think that they are going to 
overwhelm at times St. Louis. I do think the Blues are going to have some success. Maybe they'll even steal a game. Who knows? We might go to St. Louis with the series tied at a game apiece. Wouldn't surprise me. Would not surprise me at all. But I think overall in this series, it's going to be the only series, and I'm kind of ruining my next prediction, but it's going to be the only series of round two that's not going to go seven games. It's going to go deep, but I have the abs winning in six. I just think that they're just a little bit better. Well, maybe not a little bit, uh, a bunch better than the uh, St. Louis Blues. I think the Blues will put up a really good fight. I think it'll be a good series, but I, I do have the abs winning in six games. And then you get to the Battle of Alberta, which again, another series that we were all hoping we got, and it's exactly what we got. Calgary Flames against the Edmonton Oilers in round number two. So we are guaranteed to have at least one Canadian team in the conference finals this year. Whether or not we have a Canadian team in the, in the cup final for the second year in a row will remain to be seen. But, you know, again, we have two Canadian teams left in the playoffs. And you look at Calgary, their offense really struggled. I mean, they don't get me wrong. They created a lot of chances, but for some reason, Jake Ottinger was a damn brick wall and was the biggest reason the stars for seven games against them. And then you, and, and so when you look at that, you wonder to yourself, is the offense going to pick up because you're facing quote unquote, an inferior goaltending matchup with Mike Smith, who has certainly stepped up. He got a game seven shutout against the Kings, but you know that Mike Smith also will make a lot of mistakes. So, you know, will the Flames have more success against Mike Smith? I think that they certainly will, but considering how much, how many chances the, the Flames created and didn't score, I think it's something to keep in mind. And you look at the Edmonton Oilers, they were down to their last lick twice. They were down three games to two going to LA. I thought for sure they were done. I thought that a first run exit, once again, they were not going to be able to have enough around McDavid and Dreisaitl to get it done. But Evander Kane, who, despite what he's done off the ice, has really stepped up since he got to Edmonton. And he really has contributed mightily. He was a big reason they won game six in LA and forced the game seven. And then when you got to game seven, it was just a very good defensive game. And Cody Cece, interestingly enough, ended up getting the game-winning goal. And you saw when Connor McDavid scored the second goal to make it 2 nothing, and there was still like six minutes left to go in the game. You could see the emotion. It came out of him because he knew how big that goal was at that point in the game. He knew at that moment that he had that they had the Kings, that the Kings were not going to come back from that. It turns out they, they didn't. They didn't even score. And the Oilers, down three games to two, came back, won game six in L.A., and won game seven and shut out the Kings. And that was a great series, an underrated series that wasn't talked about enough. I think the Kings are a team that's certainly on the rise. You see a little bit of the changing of guard with now Dustin Brown going to be retiring with the season being over. I don't know how many more years Kopitar and Drew Doughty have left. And same thing with Jonathan Quick. But that's a Kings team that has a lot of young talent coming up and is already on the team and is going to be something to reckon with for a long time in the Western Conference. So, you know, we'll see what, what they're going to do to improve this team moving forward. But looking at Edmonton, they get to the second round, get a little bit of that pressure off of them. Now they get a chance to take on their hated Alberta rivals with a chance to go to the conference finals and really give them take that next step for that organization with those two great players in McDavid and Dreisaitl to get to that point. 
I think that series is going to have to go the distance. It's going to be a drag it out physical series. There's going to be a lot of pushing and shoving. There's also legitimate hate, just like with Canes versus Rangers. There's a lot of legitimate hate between the Flames and the Oilers. But I think at the end of the day, I think because Calgary was able to get over beating, you know, the struggles with having to face Jake Ottinger, I think they're just a little bit better, a little bit deeper of a team than Edmonton. And so I think Calgary, who, again, is still my favorite to get out of the Western Conference, I believe that they'll be able to get past Edmonton, but it is going to have to go seven. So give me the Flames to win the Battle of Alberta in round number two in seven games. So, again, to quickly recap, my round two predictions, Lightning versus Panthers, give me the Lightning in seven. Canes versus Rangers, give me the Rangers in seven. Avs versus Blues, Avs in six. And Flames versus Oilers, Flames in seven. So that is my predictions for round number two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So now what I'm going to quickly do here to finish off this episode is I'm going to be answering some fan questions. So I put this out on Twitter at Devil State, also on Instagram at Devil State of Mind. I wanted you guys to ask me some questions to get my opinion on when it comes to the Devils. I wanted to keep it Devils related. So let's kind of go to it. So let's start with the Twitter. There really was only one question that was asked on Twitter, and that was from my good friend who has been on the podcast several times, Mr. Jersey Joe. He tweeted at me while he uh, responded to my tweet saying, David Blitzer, moving on from HBSE, did not know that he's one of the owners of the New Jersey Devils. So now it's, um, I think it's just Joshua Harris now, if that's the case. He said that. What are my thoughts on it? I don't know. I really don't know what to think about it. Um, what is concerning is that over the last two years, there's been a lot of movement in the organization from up above, from presidents to different people like that, moving in and out from this from this uh, ownership, from this organization. So it kind of makes me nervous about stability of the organization in general. But to me, it's like, as long as it doesn't affect the team on the ice and the Devils can eventually go out there and become that playoff contender and, you know, hopefully Stanley Cup contender, then everything else is mute. Um, He also asked me, Jersey Joe asked me, plus your take on possible trades, free agents, cap utilization if you are Tom Fitzgerald. That's actually a really good question. It's kind of like a very deep question, Joe, and I appreciate you as always for uh, interacting. The biggest thing, I mean, I'll kind of simplify it in many ways if I'm Tom Fitzgerald. Number one, you need to solidify goaltending. Whether or not you have to get two brand new goaltenders or find someone to replace Jonathan Bernier, you may have to put him on LTIR because we don't even know if he's going to be able be able to play ever again. You have to get some stability and not just stability, but good, consistent goaltending. And I don't know where that's going to come from, whether it's free agency, making a trade or the young players that we have in our farm system who showed a little bit this past year. But that's going to be priority number one. Priority number two is to get an impact goal scorer on the wings for Nico Kiescher and or Jack Hughes, maybe more Nico Kiescher. And we've already mentioned a bunch of guys before. Johnny Gaudreau, Philip Forsberg, Kevin Fiala, Matthew Kachuk, potentially, uh, Timo Meyer, like I just mentioned earlier in this episode. Guys that you know damn well that can come here and make an immediate scoring impact that's going to take that team to the next level. Because we already have the core of our team set, and we have a boatload of cap space going into this offseason. 
And we've already talked about the potential of maybe moving the second overall pick if the right impact player or players comes along. So I think for Tom Fitzgerald, he has to look at all options and look at number one, is that the type of impact player we're looking for? Number two, are the, is the other team interested in moving it? Number three, what can we offer? We have a lot to offer. Draft picks, cash, prospects. We have a lot. And a lot of teams out there are going to continue to be struggling with the cap situation. So it's up to the Devils to once again be able to utilize it. Use, you know, utilize it. So I think that's... I think that's what we have to look at. And again, we know that Lindy Ruff is going to end up staying as the head coach. If the Devils want to show everybody that Lindy Ruff is a much better coach when you have a deeper team around him, offense, solid goaltending, maybe even getting another veteran defenseman could be beneficial as well. Again, I don't know what the options could be, but I think you have to find a way to upgrade every single aspect of this team, particularly goaltending number one, goal scoring number two, and also some veteran defensemen uh, as number three. I got to like replace a PK Subban to, you know what I mean? Not a type of player like PK Subban, but a, a defenseman like a, like a Ryan Murray that we had, or even a Dmitry Kulikov that we had uh, last year. So that would be kind of the game plan that I would have if I'm Tom Fitzgerald, which I don't think is that far off from what he probably is thinking himself. I mean, he's a, you know, I think that all the things I mentioned are things that he's definitely thinking about on his own. So very good question, Joe. And again, man, thank you so much for asking it. Uh, we had three people ask me a question on Instagram on my story. Uh, the first one comes from D-N-B-E-R-M-E-J-O on Instagram. Thank you, man, so much for the question. Appreciate it. He asks, keep this year's second overall offer sheet, Matthew Kachuk, question mark, Cooley over Slavkovsky. Okay, so again, another two-parter question. I like this. First part, keep this year's second overall. I guess you actually, this is more of a three-part question. Keep this year's second overall. I think we're, I think it would make a lot more sense to keep it at this point because, again, we didn't expect to get the second overall pick. We all expected to get five, six, maybe seventh overall, which would make it maybe easier for teams to give up an impact player. But because now it's the second overall pick, I think we're barely going to get any offers because of just the fact that a lot of teams will – a lot of teams will assume that we're going to draft somebody. And I think that the devils, it would just make more sense to just draft a top prospect again, and just continue to stack our farm system for not only development of young players coming up, but also maybe for trade pieces to get other players as well when the time is right. So that's the answer to the first question. Second, offer sheet, Matthew Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk, like Kevin Fiala, would be a guy that I think the Devils would certainly consider offer sheening that would cost a pretty decent amount of draft picks. But I think for a lot of us Devils fans who are tired of being in the draft lottery and knowing how much depth we already have in our farm system, I don't think it would be necessarily the biggest loss in the world to give up a couple of top draft picks, like first, second overall, second round picks for a guy like Matthew Kachuk. But it all depends on who do the Calgary Flames um, – prefer more because I don't think they're going to end up being able to keep both of Matthew Kachuk and or Johnny Gaudreau. 
I think Johnny Gaudreau ends up being the one that ends up going. He's 29, going to be 30. He's going to be asking for a huge amount of money in the offseason, and the Flames are probably not going to be able to afford it, and maybe they want to start creating a little bit more of a younger core built around a guy like Matthew Kachuk. So I think, and I think Flames fans would probably agree that if they had to choose between those two, I think a lot of them would end up choosing Matthew Kachuk. But offer sheeting him may not be that bad of an idea. Cooley over Slavkovsky. Now, Cooley is an interesting case because he has tremendous goal scoring ability as well. My only knock on him is that he's a center and we already have a lot of center depth. Slavkovsky fills much more of a need for us because of the fact that he is a big, strong goal scoring winger. We don't have a lot of goal scoring on the wings. It's something that we need for not only now, but certainly down the road. And I think that Slavkovsky is just going to jump over Cooley only because of that need for the Devils. But sometimes you just have to go with the best player on the board, especially that high up in the draft. Um, And it all depends on where the Devils see Cooley, Slavkovsky, other guys like that. Who do they see as on top of their board? I mean, obviously, they're going to look at, you know, Shane Wright as well, but Unless for some reason the Canadians don't want to draft them, Shane Wright will be the first overall pick in this year's draft. So for me, I would still say Slavkovsky over Cooley, but you could make an argument as well for Cooley over Slavkovsky to create more depth on the center position, certainly scoring on the bottom six. So again, it's it's going to be up in the air. But for me, I would say Slavkovsky over Cooley. Next question is from Andrew underscore MB4. He says, is Fitz right on potentially sticking with Roth? It's a good, another good question. Thank you so much, Andrew, for the question, man. Appreciate it. I don't know. I, I really don't know because I've said it before that I personally think the Devils need a change. They're obviously going to get some change behind the bench with getting new assistant coaches. We'll have to continue to wait and see who those are. But it was... Everybody was feeling like, yeah, we got rid of some assistance, but we still have Roth. And then you look at guys that are available right now. Like we mentioned, Barry Trotz. Um, I'm losing it right now. Uh, Paul Maurice as well. Pete DeBoer, who coached the Devils at one point, is now available after being fired by Vegas. I probably would not prefer to bring back Pete DeBoer, to be quite honest with you. But there are just options out there that could be the, the coach that could take us to the next level. And again, remember, we could have had um, Peter Laviolette, but we just didn't want to pay him. Gerard Gallant just didn't want to be in New Jersey, which I I get to, <coughs> excuse me, I get why in many ways. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a thing like I get where people would say, let's keep Lindy Ruff. I don't think Lindy Ruff is going to be here long term. I think regardless, and I was talking to a good friend of mine about this. We've been texting about it a bunch that uh, – I think regardless, I think Lindy Ruff is probably not going to be here after next season, regardless of what we do, unless we win the cup, honestly. Um, But I think that it does make sense to maybe give Lindy Ruff an opportunity with these new coaches and obviously upgrading on the goaltending and everything. But make no mistake about it. If the Devils are struggling early in the season, Fitzgerald has to pull the plug. Because right now, I think Fitzgerald's job is on the line as well. He talked about he wants to, you know, the, the ownership talks about they, they're tired of losing and tired of being a doormat. Tom Fitzgerald's talked about it. Well, talk is cheap. We need to see results on the ice. Lindy Ruff, same thing. 
These guys are under an immense amount of pressure going into next season. Damon Severson said it himself, the rebuild is over. Well, if it's over, you better prove it next season. You better get the necessary pieces that we need and make it happen. Because like I said, talk is cheap. So Andrew, to be honest with you right now, I don't know. Maybe my opinion will change in a couple months. Maybe it'll change, uh, you know, once the season starts. But right now, I just really don't know. But I still appreciate the question. Now, the last question comes from one of the bigger fan pages on Instagram that covers the Devils, devilcentral.nj. Thank you so much, my friend, for the question. I appreciate it. Um, this person asks, what would you do with the goalie situation and top three players you want in free agency or trade? I haven't given that a whole lot of thought when it comes to trading because trades is always interesting. We hear trade rumors, but a lot of time with trades, they end up being for guys that maybe we didn't expect to get moved. But what would I do with the goalie situation? For me personally, for me personally, I still think you need to give um, Mackenzie Blackwood a fair chance to really develop, but you need to find somebody that can take a big chunk of load off of him so that he's not playing 50, 60 games and hurting himself again. We don't need this again. We don't need another seven or eight goaltenders next season to compete. We need to find some stability. With regards to the goalie situation, I don't know if we necessarily need to go and get somebody that needs to be our, you know, our 1B for the next three or four years while other guys are are developing because I think Nico Dawes has shown that he's actually a lot closer than we realized to maybe being a uh, LHL goaltender long-term. Akira Schmidt, I think, honestly has potential as well. Who knows? Those two guys might be the long-term solutions in net. But I will say this. I think, I think getting a veteran that we know has the capability to play well and can also push Blackwood for minutes I think is the best course of action. So maybe a Darcy Kemper, although he would be asking for a long-term deal, which the Devils may not want to do. I think a more logical choice would actually be Marc-Andre Fleury. I, I know I've mentioned him before, and I know that people say that like I'm stuck on it and everything like that, but he will be a free agent this offseason. He has talked about the desire to come back and play another year, and the Devils are a team that knows that the next step now is to get into the playoffs. And Flurry could come in and push Mackenzie Blackwood and not only push for his, uh, for his spot, but also maybe for his number as well. But to give it that, give it that all. And the Devils have already stated numerous times their interest in Marc-Andre Flurry. And Flurry hasn't come here because he has a no-trade clause and didn't want to come here. And I totally get it. Is the situation different? Who knows? Is Minnesota going to feel confident bringing him back after his lackluster performances in the first round this year against St. Louis? You know, th those are those questions. Um, there were certainly a lot more intriguing options for veteran goaltenders last offseason. And again, we still have Jonathan Bernier for another year, but I, I really doubt that he's going to be here long term. But I think if you're able to go into next season with a tandem of Blackwood and Flurry, and even also if you want to have a third goaltender, a Dawes or Schmidt, or just keeping both of those guys down in the minors, for a team that needs to take next step to win, bringing more veteran leadership into the locker room, I think that's pretty good. 
I honestly think that's pretty good. I, I feel like a lot of you guys <coughs> would agree with me. There's other guys out there, like I've mentioned before, Alexander Georgiev, uh, Ville Huso. But the other thing is you have to remember, those guys are going to want long-term deals. If the Devils feel like that Schmid or Dawes or somebody like that is closer than uh, than expected to maybe be in the NHL long-term, the Devils may look for a more veteran guy to push Blackwood for a year or two while this team is trying to get in back into the playoffs and making that run so that Schmidt and Dawes can continue to develop down in, in the minors. It all depends on where the Devils feel about it. So that's the way I would look at it with the goalie situation. I would look for a more veteran-proven guy like a Flurry or like some other guys out there that I'm, I'm blanking on right now, but that's what I would do. And then top three players you want to free into your trade. So... I've kind of gone back and forth with this throughout the entire season when I've talked about it. Uh, but I still, I, I want to put Johnny Gaudreau as number one, because although he will be 30 by the time next season starts, he is a guy that is a goal scorer. This man had over a hundred points. Again, he's not showing any signs of decline and he can be that goal scoring winger that we need. We know that he could come in and be an impact player. He'll certainly ask for a, a big chunk of money, but. We have the money for it. And yes, we still have to re-sign guys like Brat and Miles Wood. But we're going to get that done beforehand, and then we'll be able to assess it moving forward after that. And Tom Fitzgerald talked about making a big splash again. So unless we're making a big splash in net, it's got to be on the offense because we don't need a big splash on defense. We already did that with Dougie Hamilton last year. So that's, that's the way I look at it. So I would say Johnny Gaudreau, number one. Um, Philip Forsberg, definitely number two, because of the ability that he's able to have when it comes to scoring on a consistent basis and a guy who's right now in the prime of his career. I think that that would be very, very big if we could get a guy like him and Nashville may not be able to convince him to stay long-term may not have the money to give what he's looking for. So that's another thing. And then when you look at my third option, I would probably put Kevin Fiala, although the more I think about it, it's like Kevin Fiala had his best season of his career in a walk year, knowing that he was going to get paid this offseason. So it's like, is this the guy that needs to be the impact player? Would we end up having, we, we'd have to give up something for him because he's an RFA or we'd have to trade for his rights and then sign him. Um, so he would be like maybe my top trade Um my top trade piece, I would mention Patrick Line, but I think more and more about the fact that I think Columbus will definitely keep him long term. I would be surprised if they didn't. Um, so that's the way I look at it with that. So I think when I look at it, I would say, and again, if you want to talk about goaltending, you want to involve the sec first question with the second, I would put Flurry in there as well as a big piece to go after for the goaltending for the short term, you know, thing, uh, thi um, situation in net um and it can't hurt because let's say you sign Florida to a one-year deal if it doesn't work out okay we move on to next year it's kind of it whether with Fitzgerald or a new GM whatever that's the way I look at it. but you have to start getting guys like that in order for this team to take the next step we have a lot of talent yes but it's not fully ready it's not fully ready so you need to start getting more impact players on this team this is a good situation to be in with young talent, but also a huge amount of cap space to go out and get NHL ready, well, NHL proven guys as well. So 
to kind of, you said top three, I'll give you a top four. So I would say um, Johnny Gaudreau, um, Philip Forsberg, Kevin Fiala, Marc-Andre Fleury. And maybe I would move Fleury to three past Fiala because again, goaltending, big need. And Fiala, again, may not be that impact player, although he does have uh, connections with Nico Heischer. They do have chemistry as well, being from the same country and things like that. So hopefully that answers your question, DevilsCentral.nj. And again, thank you all so much for your questions. I will try to do more of this moving forward. Love interacting with you guys and uh, love talking more and more about this Devils team. And again, what should be an incredibly, incredibly busy and, at, and uh, hopefully exciting offseason season for the New Jersey Devils.